Find Your Faith with the Find Your Faith podcast. so much for tuning back into my Find Your Feet podcast and obviously I'm Hannie Alston and I'm here today to hopefully give you a little bit of an insight into some of the things that I've been working on myself. I um, I don't have anyone to have this conversation with. I'm really used to having someone like Jess asking me all her really interesting questions but Jess is off now pursuing her fine arts career and so uh, there's been a bit of a lag time between the last episode that I've done uh, I guess sharing my insights and information with you because well I was looking for that right person and um, I haven't yet found them so I thought I'd put on my big girl panties and just have a conversation with you without anyone else in the room and it feels a little bit strange because it's raining outside i've got the heater going a little blanket over my knees and well it's just me but um i guess i've just come back now from the big ultra trail australia event as well as the margaret river ultra that was over in western australia and uh, so i've met a lot of you and for me i guess having that opportunity to connect with you in the store to take a few photos to hear your stories and also i guess to hear the gratitude and thanks for that um coming back my way about the podcast and there was just so much more momentum than i i ever realized i guess you know living down here in tasmania it is pretty isolating we obviously have some amazing people that have been able to podcast but you still you're still just down here doing what you're doing and putting it out onto the big wide world of the internet and and not sometimes realizing how far how far the knowledge is beginning to spread and how far these people's stories are being spread so i'm um, to walk into that environment up there at ultra trail australia and realize that you know what we're trying to do is is having an impact is is really empowering so um thank you to all of you who have shared your stories and your experiences with the podcast and all the other training resources and um given me the courage to to sit down today and have this conversation with you so um i guess i just want to start out by acknowledging the efforts of all of the individuals out there who have lined up on some of these big start lines who lent into the discomfort and um strived and from what i can tell almost everyone reached the finish line, which is a phenomenal result. And even if you didn't, I mean, the stories of the occasional people who had to pull out of their events, um, I could just tell how hard you really tried and how there were some experiences that were beyond your, I guess, you know, beyond your control, really, that led to that uh, resignation from the event. But I think the most important thing is that when we go on these journeys as athletes we're not just looking for an outcome we're looking for an identity that's going to blossom by pursuing this goal and that's something that i'm going to explore a little bit more today but you know just some of the success stories that have come my way after the old show australia was um things like one woman broke her 50 kilometer pb by three hours and 18 minutes like i had to read that twice when that email landed in my inbox another gentleman broke his 100 kilometer pb by five hours and there was a woman who actually finished third in the 50 kilometer event at ultra trail australia outright so, you know, some incredible results coming back in. And I'm so glad that you found the training programs and resources that I've been putting together really helpful for this. I've also, I guess, I've got back into my performance coaching. So I've been doing a lot of coaching behind the scenes one-on-one -on -one with athletes. And, and this involves phone conversations or, or Zoom when we you know, get tech savvy, um, but conversations with athletes. and. A lot of the time, the work that I'm doing now has been about working on the mental and emotional sides of performance. I think when we sign up to an event, we we have this um, this vision of ourselves, this futuristic vision of ourselves about who we can become or the strength that we're going to gain by doing this event. 
But as we go on that journey, particularly when some of the preparation times are like six months long, like my training plan is for something like Ultra Trail Australia, you tend to lose lose sight of that like that that vision isn't held in the forefront of your mind and unless you purposely bring it to the forefront you can get a little bit lost or a little blown off course by life events as they unfold so part of the work that i've been doing with my athletes is to bring that outcome back to the forefront uh, and i think that is something that is just so important um, so if you've you know, maybe take yourself back to your preparations or if you're preparing for something now, I, um, I implore you to answer the question, what is the outcome that you are seeking from this event? And then this leads to the second part of the equation that I've been working on with my athletes, and that's the ability to both associate and dissociate from that experience or that outcome. And so what do I mean by that? Well, the process of association is when you can go right into that experience and you can be in that experience. Even so, so for example, when we're leading up to Ultra Australia, I would take my athlete into the event as if the event was happening. And I would ask them to tell me what they're seeing, tell me what they're feeling. Are they running along a trail or are they running along a road? Are they going upstairs? Are they challenged? Or are they feeling really confident and strong? And what are they seeing in that moment? What are they feeling and how does that play out physically in the body? And you're going right deep, deep, deep into that. Even to the point where an athlete might have a picture of themselves running up the finish chute. And what are they hearing? And who's, who's saying this thing to them? Um, what, yeah, what would their support crew and their cheer squad be cheering out to them and have them verbalize that? Because if you can kinesthetically and or, um, hear the auditory side of an event and you can really associate with it, then it, I guess it's telling your brain, hey, brain, hey, body, even this is what to expect coming up. But then when you get into the event like actually on the day to run in a complete in a completely associated way all the all the time say in 100 kilometers where some of my athletes were taking up to 22 hours to run feeling all that emotion and and um seeing everyone going through their highs and lows and being completely associated all the time could be incredibly fatiguing and also um can I guess, wear, wear you down emotionally. And so um, the ability to dissociate from that emotion and almost to like stand back and almost be looking in from the outside as if you're watching your movements and your experience playing out on a television screen. So you're one foot removed from it. To be able to move through your event like that gives you a huge amount of strength because you're not grappling with all the different emotions going on so you i guess are like a pawn playing out this film um or a or an actor actress playing out this film script and dissociation is proven to help people go through very traumatic events and so some people um and and i can reflect on my own life in this is um can go through something that's incredibly traumatic but can feel like at the time they're not feeling anything like they they're just going through the motions and they're playing out what needs to get done and then eventually eventually one can go back in one reassociates so it goes back into associated state and then suddenly the feelings all rush up to meet them and that's kind of what you see on, on the finish line of an event where people can have been holding it all together and going through the motions and then they get to the finish shoot or they get to a checkpoint and they're coming up towards the finish line and then the bubble bursts and all that emotion comes rushing out. That's you reassociating. That's you going back into an associated state and suddenly feeling everything that you need to feel to feel proud of your result, to feel proud of your accomplishment. And so this is something that I've been working on with my athletes and, um, and it's been incredibly powerful. 
um, I had this amazing, uh, well, I'm going to see if I can just find it even while I'm talking, this amazing email from one of the girls that has actually been on the podcast recently called Hannah Clark. Now, Hannah had been a very elite professional rower um, and had to step away from her rowing because of a number of back injuries that had really come to plague her. And she decided that she uh, would like to take up elite running. So I've been working with Hannah for about three years. And this process over the three years has been about helping her build up not only her base fitness and strength as a runner, but also all the skills and tricks and tricks of the trade. And Hannah had had a bit of a challenge because she also experiences a lot of stomach upsets. So we, I, I felt like we'd gone a long way to solving a lot of the physical issues, but we hadn't necessarily addressed what it was going to be like for Hannah to step up from the 44 kilometer distance, which was her longest event to date, to a hundred kilometer distance. So part of this was about giving Han an understanding about what the outcome was and the outcome for why Han was running this UTA 100 was that she wanted to um, get one step closer towards qualifying for the huge CCC that's part of the um, big UTMB festival over in France. So she's trying to get a qualifier. She needs to run hundred kilometers to help her qualify. And we needed to do it this year. So it was always going to be a big step up. But I felt like, and she felt like, we'd done all of the base preparation to get her there. And that her patience had paid off. So this is the email that she, um, she said to me. My thoughts on UTA 100. Hanny, my mindset was great. I was there, peaceful, purposeful. And my mantras, with my mantras, and they worked. I tried to move forward with purpose at all times. So even if not running, I would ask myself, is this as fast as I can move right now? And am I moving with intent? I really felt in a flow state the whole time, just super mindful, didn't listen to tunes or podcasts, felt really connected and locked in. I was joyful, but peaceful, basically the whole way through the entire 100 kilometers. I never felt overwhelmed. If things were going really well, I rolled with it and I didn't let that scare me. And if I was feeling a bit tired and slow, I rode that wave too, focusing on my nutrition and my running technique. And it left me, well, pretty quickly if I did feel like that. I tried to relax 5%, just 5% and often. I'd keep my legs turning, shake off hiking and get back into a rhythm. Rhythm was another really good keyword for me out there. I smiled at every volunteer and I tried to bring my positivity to the race. Another girl even hugged me at an aid station for my help that I'd given her out on the course. The physical preparation that we'd done together laid down the groundwork, but my mindset was what really allowed me to make the most of it. I haven't ever really had an experience quite like it. The peacefulness throughout almost made me feel like I was watching myself with simultaneously, while simultaneously being in my own body in fact, it was pretty trippy, really. So I guess in a nutshell, it was an amazing experience with no dramas at all. So what an incredible email. And I mean, it went on further, but I, I wanted to share that with you because if you listen to Hannah's earlier um, podcast with me, you can hear that the mental side of what she has been working on had really come to play. I guess another story that comes to my mind was um, of another woman that I've been working with for about five years. And part of her journey was from someone who probably would, would max her capacity at about 15 kilometers about five years ago, and someone who was ridiculously terrified of heights, to now someone who's completed the 100 kilometers as well at UTA. And uh, when you think about that course, there's a huge number of stairs and ladders and things that you're even going up and down at night. But I could tell that in the lead up to it, she had begun to kind of creep into herself and you could see that uh, she, she was anxious, really anxious about the event. Now, this lady is also works a very high flying job. She has um, two children, both who are in their early teenage years. 
So she is a mother at heart, um, as well as obviously in the workforce. The thing about this lovely lady is that she is so kind, so compassionate and always there for other people. But the conversation that I had to have with her before this event was that you absolutely cannot bring your mother identity to the race. When you stand on that start line, you are not you and you are not the mother. You are an athlete and you have to start with this belief in yourself as an athlete. That is the identity that you need to carry because the athlete will be the one that will check in with you and say, hey, have you eaten enough? Oi, are you going too fast, too slow? Can you lean in more here? Uh, what's your technique doing? Can you relax a little bit? Just like Hannah was talking to herself. But it's also important, I guess, not for the event not to feel like a chore. And if you were to run 100 kilometers as an, in the athlete identity or the athlete's frame of mind, it would also become quite fatiguing. You just, I guess you wouldn't bring a lot of joy into it because you wouldn't really see what you've been going past the whole time. So then I discussed with this lady about the importance of bringing your queen identity. I mean, I think we all, we all have a queen or a king in us where we want, to, we want to be the queen of our little kingdom. You know, we want to be able to look around and appreciate everything that we're seeing, like the beauty of the sunrise, you know, the golden glow of the sunset, the stars when they begin to come out, um, and just, you know, in general, just the beauty of the landscape and the people that are in it. So I sort of mentioned to her that, you know, once she got into her rhythm after the start, it was about trying to bring Queen into the, into the equation and to, to be appreciative about how far she'd come, not just, you know, so far in the event, but in the five years leading up to this event too. But there's also another identity that I think uh, we need to have, uh, especially if we want to, we want to achieve these huge goals like uh, a lot of us are trying to do in trail running and that's this warrior identity you know if, i think if i think about the word warrior i think about you know people <laughs> people in early human history who were able to like forge through to conquer new countries or to overcome adversity and and well that's what i'm asking us to bring to these events too is that there are going to be low moments and in all the stories that came back to me after UTA um, when people shared these with me, you know, most of them had a low moment in them and even Hannah, you know, briefly had low moments. But like Hannah did, she was able to tune into warrior mode. She was able to go into, I used to call it my bubble mode. So I'd put a bubble around me and I would run in a bubble and block out a lot of the noise uh, a lot of the people even um thoughts about the rest of the course i'd just go into this little bubble i would be in the now i would focus in on the outcome that i wanted from this event and i would just get it done and i was talking therefore to this lady about how important it is to be able to be selfish to go into this warrior mode and use it to overcome those times where she may be feeling challenged and so in the end um, what played out for her was that she flicked in and out of a lot of these modes she also didn't bring her husband as her number one numero, numero uno uh, support crew she actually had someone fly up from Tasmania and another friend from Canberra where she lives come in to be her primary support crew and I think this is really important. Um, had her husband been there, she would have needed to have been a wife and a mother. But in this event, those two, um, those two identities, are, they're not weak, like they're, they're a strong identity, but they can, when you feel too much love, when you feel like someone wants to remove you from the pain and the discomfort rather than pushing you on that can become a very weak point especially if you're having a bit of a low moment so um they were there to cheer her on but her support crew were there to push her on and say you can do this 
you can get to the finish line. And so, yeah, as it played out for her, she, um, she would flick from athlete mode and checking in with herself to queen mode and being really appreciative of everything that she was experiencing and seeing and then into warrior mode where she would put in go into her bubble and get through just get through the tough times and as it played out well she got to the finish and not just got to the finish like she exceeded her expectations so yeah, so sorry, I feel like I've been on a little bit of a, a, a tangent here, but I, I guess I wanted to share this with you because this is something that I've been really exploring a lot. Um, I've been finding huge success with my athletes as I um, as I teach them some of these skills. And it really came about for me because after, you know, I've talked about this event a lot, but it had a very profound experience, um, impact on me. But after the UTA 2017 race where I ran the 100 kilometres, I, um, I said to myself even before the event started that after this event was done, I, um, I was no longer going to be an athlete. I was going to move on and um, I guess in my, in my head I was really saying to yeah not be an athlete and be a normal normal person and uh, you know after the event finished and all the dust died down my husband and I actually um, got married so we had our wedding and it was a beautiful like winter wedding on this gorgeously white beach and luckily uh, for Tasmania we, did, we didn't have any rain and we had clear skies and it was just honest to God the most magical day of my life. Um, but I guess this event in itself brought up for me a new identity of, of being a wife. And uh, so, I, so I wrestled afterwards with this, um, how do I be normal? Um, does anything change if I become a wife? And how do I not be an athlete? And, and how do I put a lid on that enthusiasm to get up and train in the morning and um try and keep myself in great race weight shape and i thought i kind of dealt with it really well and uh we went on quite a number of our running tours and i did some coaching over in finland with the junior world orienteering team and then i found myself late last year on a, uh, a running tour to japan and we went up into the Alps of Japan, into the Kamakoche National Park, where we're surrounded by volcanic peaks. And on this trip, there were 10 people, and four of whom were a family, with the mother of the woman being a non-runner. So she would come along and she'd bring her paintbrushes and her pencils, and while we went out running, she would go off and, and paint and do artwork. And of everyone on this tour, I mean, I can't have favorites, but I certainly connected to her in a way that I, I cannot describe. Um, it was just this profound curiosity about her and sense that she had so much in her that I, I needed to know. And um, it turns out that she is a neuro-linguistic programmer. So she works helping people to understand the language in which they speak to themselves and reprogramming that language. And she's also trained in life coaching and hypnosis. Um, she's been a professional singer, a professional um, working with actresses, actors, Olympic athletes, business people. And, um, and so, yeah, she's a coach. So about three months later, I reached out to her, finally got up the courage and I was like, look, I feel like I'm on a seesaw. You know, some days I feel like I understand this whole no athlete thing and other days I really don't have a clue what I'm doing. And uh, I don't know how not to be an athlete. As it turned out, um, my mentor would say to me that I had reached a bifurcation point, um, that there was an identity in me that needed to bloom there was other identities in me that needed to be restoked and um, allowed to, you know, 
stretch into another on another tangent that they didn't need to die but they they needed to evolve and there were parts of me that yeah did need to kind of be laid to rest and I needed to be okay with that but but this bifurcation point came at a point of I guess discomfort and, and this happens for everyone and at this bifurcation point I think we have two choices we can keep going back to our old ways and and say you know it'll be all right it'll be all right or at that bifurcation point we can choose to to take a little bit of a sidestep and to grow again. And so leaning in with her, I decided that I wanted to grow. Because I think the thing that kind of had, having, working with her, I think what I realized needed to, to grow within me was actually my feminine, my femininity and my my desire really to enter womanhood because having been an athlete pretty much thrown in the pool at the age of seven and then pursuing that for such a long period of time even though i was doing other things around it the the athlete identity was this was the core identity that i held within myself and to be in a very elite athlete particularly in the sport of distance running it requires you to stay very lean, very mean, um, to often be, be selfish so that you can get through the tough times and get the training done and, you know, juggle all the other responsibilities you're meant to be doing. Um, but, but I think particularly the, the leanness was just a, such a huge emphasis. And I, I've talked about it before. And for me, that kind of led to a period of time where I struggled with anorexia, um, with amenorrhea for a very long period of time. So no female hormones being produced and therefore no menstruation. And I, I guess I kind of, I kept saying that I'm a proud tomboy and I, I was for a long period of time. But when I, um, when I realized that I, you know, I was now into my thirties, I was now a wife. I, I, you know, had thoughts that I would potentially like to be a mother that this um feeling of just always pulling on a pair of running shorts and you know um, a jumper and my running shoes and off to work I'd go and you know just grabbing my hair and chucking in a quick ponytail but never really taking time to take pride in myself um I didn't realize that this these sort of habits and these routines were just like really beginning to squash my feminine identity and, and my ability and desire to to want to be a woman but why I was also struggling was that I felt like and it comes back to what we we're talking about with this woman that was helping um to do her 100 kilometer was that I felt like we could only ever have one identity as in I am Hanny and um I was often saying to myself like I'm an athlete I'm a runner and so everything I did I would dress like a runner I would act like an athlete I would train like an athlete and and Hanny became an athlete and what I didn't realize was that we actually have so many identities within us and that is okay so this brings me to another story of um, another gentleman who's been on the podcast um, who's now approaching the age of 70. This person um, is preparing for a 75 kilometer mountain race in Austria, Switzerland, Austria, one, one of them anyway. And um, his wife approached me and said, look, I'm, I'm really worried about him because all he can ever do is talk about training and think about training and do the recovery from training and then go and do the training and then think about the nutrition after training and everything is i guess as an athlete would now that is so important and i admire his um his dedication to his goal but as i had to say to him when we finally had the chance to catch up is that there are times when you need to have your athlete identity and you need to listen to it and use it to your strengths. But sometimes our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses. And him not being able to realize that there was other identities in him and to be able to turn off athlete mode meant that he was bringing that into his relationships. So he would bring it in to be with his wife 
and an athlete would get into bed with him in the evening. An athlete would get out of bed with him in the evening. An athlete would sit there when his grandchildren's were, grandchildren were over to play. So as I talked to him, um, using his 75k race in, let's say, Switzerland, as the example of it, was that he would have moments where he's an athlete. And he would have moments where he's the king and he's looking in and appreciating everything that he's experiencing over there and hearing the cowbells and hearing the church bells and um, feeling people cheer him on and thanking the uh, people working at the checkpoints for their support and watching the sunrise and then the sunset. And he would be a warrior when it got tough and he would lean in and go into his bubble and just get up that massive mountain that he was climbing. And then when I brought that home a little bit closer to him, there would be times where he is like that. But when he came home from training, he would switch off athlete mode or warrior mode and he would be a husband and he would be present in his relationship with his wife. You know, when he wasn't a husband, he might be a grandpa to his grandchildren or a father to his children or a king, you know, and in his home doing the things to kind of keep the home and his kingdom healthy. So even for him, there were different identities. And, and this was the realisation I came to for myself. You know, yes, I was an athlete. In fact, I'm going to take that back. Yes, I am an athlete and I think I will always be an athlete because once you've had those rich experiences, they, they don't just go away. You know, that way of thinking doesn't just dissolve. But that athlete was going to evolve and has evolved um, to using it in other ways and expressing it in other ways. Um, but I'm also a woman and I'm actually now really excited to pull on some clothes that make me feel beautiful or to take that extra five minutes just to, you know, take a bit more pride in, in how I present myself or to, um, to give someone a hug rather than a handshake um, or to, you know, move into our new home and, and get excited about doing some artwork and putting that on the wall and buying some flowers and watering my plants and, and making my home feel beautiful. Um, I also have gone back to study and to learn because I know now that I'm a learner and I want that identity to be able to speak. And one of the other identities that I, um, I realized that I had, and, and any time, if you want to know what your identities are, just pick up on yourself going, when do you say, I am. I am a runner. I am honey. I am going to work in my garden. Because if you say that I am working in my garden, it means you have the identity of I'm a gardener. I am going for a walk. I'm someone who loves to be active. I am a good friend. You have the identity of a friend. Um, but one of the things that I realized I was saying to myself was I am broken. I am nearing the end of my running career. I am always injured. I'm always, I've always have niggles. I had this identity in me that um, I needed to be fixed. And when I explored this with my new coach and mentor, I realized that it went back a long way, a long, long way to a period of time where I'd experienced a lot of trauma. Um, the trauma happened to coincide with a full ankle reconstruction at the age of 19, where they said that there was a huge chance that I would never run again. And I, I at the time, experienced a lot of... Um, when, when there was a time where my parents couldn't give me a lot of love, I got a lot of love from people around me who helped me as I got back off the crutches and learned how to walk again and then learned how to drive again. And, um, and what I now realized the pattern that formed was that 
in some ways I was perpetually in a state where there was a niggle because it was my way of like I guess feeling love which it's really hard to explain it probably sounds quite quirky and quite wacky on the podcast but this identity allowed me the permission to go and have a massage to be able to check in with my physio and and feel the compassion that comes from attending a physio appointment um and what i think happened though was that i i kind of kept rejecting it i didn't realize that this was happening until it reached a point in december where i couldn't reject it anymore and what happened to me in december was that i broke my big toe and it happened as an ongoing stress reaction that formed in the big toe joint now why did this happen because I kept rejecting these niggles and I kept trying to push beyond them and then I was also struggling and saying to myself I'm not an athlete I I'm not training um, even though when I look at it on paper of course I was training I mean I was up almost every day doing volumes of training running on running tours running 65 kilometers down the overland track with a group on the on the uh, overland track extreme running tour that we do you know everything i was doing was physically active but because i couldn't say to myself i'm still an athlete i was like well only athletes overtrain only athletes get niggles and i also was rejecting this sense that i kept saying to myself but i am I am, I am broken, like I, I need to be fixed. So I had this double whammy in there. And my big toe really was the massive point that I couldn't run beyond. And so when it hit me, there was like this initial panic. I was like, oh my God. I mean, I haven't had an injury like this since my ankle and I can't run and, it, and it's coming into summer and you know, what if I can't maintain my health and well-being? So then I threw myself into cross-training. It was like a high mojo phase where I'm like, I can manage this. And, um, and what had also become quite problematic was that even though I'd seen a number of people, everyone kind of seemed to say to me, I think you'll be all right as long as you don't run or I think you'll be all right as long as you don't walk all day on the retail floor in it. Or I think you'll be all right as long as we put it in a moon boot. And each time I kept saying to them, do you think that I should just go on crutches? Because it was really painful. And they'd be like, oh, I think you'll be all right. But I think this also highlights for me that it's really important that we actually listen to ourselves and our own feedback. I was always looking to other people externally looking for feedback all the time. Um, when my body and my heart, my mind were saying, you need to get off this and you need to rest it. So I kind of gave that, you know, their green lights meant a green light for me. And I threw myself into cross training, but, um, it didn't really heal. Yeah. And we went from not running to not walking to being in a moon boot to them being in a moon boot on crutches to them being on crutches and um, and eventually it was four months before I started to see any healing improvements. So at one point in there, I really lost my mojo and I was, um, I was riding my e-bike everywhere because I worked out I could ride my e-bike as long as I left my toes flapping over the front. And um, so I was riding my e-bike to the gym and I said to myself, like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I do not want to have to exercise inside one more time. I do not want to go to the gym nor the pool. And then I caught myself saying this and I, I turned around on myself eventually and I said to myself, honey, if you were five years old and someone opened the doors to the gym and just said, go for it, honey, you can play in here for the next hour, do whatever you like to do. Or you can go to the pool and you can do whatever you like to do for the next hour. You'd be like, man, like this is cool. This is like the best playground ever. 
And so as soon as I had this realization and said to myself, like, honey, just go to the gym and just play. Do whatever you want. Play unapologetically. I don't, I don't mind what you do, what trouble you get up to, but go and play. And for me, that was kind of where it all changed. Because once I got in there and realized just I was just going to play, I realized there was so much that I could do in there that I didn't realize. Like I learned how to row without legs. Um, I would hang upside down on things and do my sit-ups upside down because I couldn't stand up. Um, I did, you know, all sorts of quirky things. I learned how to swim without my legs. Um, you know, I did a lot of like pool, like using a pool boy and floating and practicing my technique. And it was, it was awesome actually. And, um, I went from not liking the gym and not liking swimming to being something now that's expanded my repertoire. And this morning I went to the gym and, and to the pool and I was really looking forward to it. So, um, that was a kind of a really big light bulb moment was it so much of so much of our challenges are just in our in our heads um yeah and so i guess through through that though through that time of coming back from my injury i realized that it was it was the time that my body had been asking for to really work on embracing my femininity and um and i spent a lot of time like trying to work out for myself you know what what does being a woman actually entail and and my mentor put some pretty hefty challenges to me as well and um things that made me feel really uncomfortable like going and buying new underwear and um yeah but i mean it sounds superficial but i think that when i finally got to uta this year and a lot of people would say to me you know um, don't you want to be running or aren't you jealous you're not running and i was like you know what, I'm actually really happy in myself and being here to support you all because I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm happy in my own shoes. And so then that led me to this point of realizing the difference between self-acceptance and self-compassion. And I kind of think like self-compassion has been thrown around because like it's very much like the inward is like we need to be more self-compassionate and you know i've wrestled with this a lot like what is self-compassion i mean is is getting a sports massage after a really hard training week compassion or is that just something that you're doing for healing and recovery is that is that the same is that different you know is having a bath in the evening going to make me feel kind of better about myself or more compassionate towards myself like I really wrestled with this um but I think it was when I reached a point that I was like I really accept myself for who I am like I can look in I can look in from the outside at other athletes doing what I once absolutely loved doing and just be celebrating their achievements and not thinking about why not me poor me have i made the right decisions you know i was okay um you know my body shape changed when i broke my foot you know to have five of nearly six months where i couldn't run meant that i went from looking more like a runner to more like a swimmer um and someone who worked out in the gym and and i was i reached a point where i was like i'm super cool with this um you know, I went from thinking having a menstrual cycle meant that you maybe you were getting a bit pudgy around the edges to being like, I love the days when it comes because it tells me that I'm healthy and it it tells me that I'm like resilient and, and ready to play hard um, and am playing hard. Whereas before I used to have this sort of, yeah, feeling that the menstrual cycle was um, more femininity than you needed to, to be like an elite athlete and um interestingly i've just had a had a conversation with a really dear friend of mine um who's been through some struggles as well with uh stress reactions and stress fractures like numerous ones and also happening to come to this realization that as a woman you can't just go forever and ever and ever without your menstrual cycle and um and she really went a huge way out of her comfort zone to make sure that she got that back and it was a pic and it was a picture of her own health 
And then, you know, taking it one step further, um, I work on a couple of boards, one being the Australian Institute of Company Directors, and we have the National Board up in Sydney. And now the Australian Institute of Company Directors does a phenomenal job making sure our directors in Australia are, are um, trained to international standards and, and are running their companies, um, you know, in the optimal way. But going up to the board uh, meeting in Sydney, I was by far the youngest and I was definitely not dressed in the traditional um, corporate ways. And I walked into this room and my first reaction was, oh my goodness, I feel like a zebra. <laughs> I feel like a zebra in a room full of palominos. And that zebra moment just brought me to a halt. And I was like, what do I do? And I thought, you know what? There's nothing I can do. I'll go in and I'll take my seat and I'll be present and the meeting will be done and I'll be proud of myself. But then as it played out, I was called upon at short notice, very short, like five minutes short notice, to um, to present my viewpoints on the uh, the need, or like how the Australian Institute of Company Directors can support the younger generation and small medium enterprise owners. And so my zebra was then put in the spotlight. And I also had a moment again where I was like, what do I do? Do I say what I think or do I say what I think they want to hear? And I decided because I'd reached a point of accepting myself and, and feeling strong in myself that I would say what I thought. And it was the right move because, um, yeah, it, it was heard and it was appreciated and it might not be what they wanted to hear, but it helped them to move forwards. And it, it made me realise how important it is to to be strong in ourselves and to know who we are so that we can do the best job that we can do, whether that's as an athlete, as a human being or in our relationships. So yeah, so sorry, a bit of um, a bit of a long spiel, but I, I guess I wanted to share the journey that I've been on this summer with you. Because um, I think like what we all strive to do is to, to, to be someone so that we can do the things so that we can have the things that we want or have the outcomes that we want be do have but i think like frequently we can get stuck in doing mode um in the routines and the habits that we've always had so we do and 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 because we don't have any feedback mechanism feedback loops either in ourselves or externally and preferably they should come from ourselves that we just do 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 and um and not necessarily lead to the places and the outcomes that we want, nor to the people or to the person that we want to be. So this summer for me has been about really working on my be, and I call that my be wild state, so that I can begin to like tweak and adjust and adapt the things that I do so that I can have the outcomes that I want to have. And so for me, what I want to have is to be super playful as an athlete and, and still to perform and do like crazy things, but not to the detriment of being able to be a wife, um, a daughter, potentially a mother. Well, I would love to be a mother. So a mother, um, you know, a leader of my, my organization, my business, find your feet. Um, someone who's there coaching to the highest levels and empowering her athletes and, and, um, you know, being able to feel like I'm fostering a really empowered community who know how to be, play and perform wilder. And, and they're the values that I live by. So I guess that, you know, brings me to conclusion is like maybe I just wanted to kind of mention a little bit about what I'm working on now. So, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of work in, in understanding our identities and how to communicate and the communication methods that we have with ourselves and others. Um, I've been doing a lot of education on the difference between males and females, particularly athletically, and, and how we can especially train women to fit around the hormonal cycle, which um, presents huge challenges. 
Uh, I've definitely been, you know, coming to understand the Amenorrhea journey and I'm really looking forward to sharing the podcast with Ruth uh, coming up. I've been very, very busy working uh, with the 2020 running tours, not to mention the fact that in three weeks we're about to head out on the second of our 2019 tours, which are all fully booked. So if, you, if you're keen to join a tour, um, jump on the tours website, www.findyourfeettours.com.au and have a look at the 2020 ones. Um, some are already full, so Hokkaido and Fresno in Tasmania are already full. But we have availability still on the Alpine Tasmania tour to the Pyrenees, Chamonix, um, the mountains of Bulgaria, which I'm super excited about. It's super stunning there. Uh, and then our Overland Track Extreme tours where we run 65 kilometres in one day down through the mountains of Tasmania. Um, been very busy still with my guidebook, the trail running guidebook. It's been getting a huge amount of traction and uh, beginning to see some big traction internationally. So if you haven't had a look at that, I recommend jumping on my website, www.hannyalston.com.au and going to the guidebook tab. And as you'll see, as you do that, I've um, also just launched, and I made it myself, uh, a new website because I wanted it to be a little bit easier for you all to find the things that you want to find. And I'd encourage you to go and have a look at the new blog page where all my articles are because I've um, been really enjoying writing again. And so on that note, I've also I've also actually just finished the um, major draft and edited draft of my new book, which um, I think I've mentioned very offhand way uh, to you a couple of times so far on the podcast, but it's a memoir and... Um, this has, been, this has been a really challenging journey for me. Uh, probably the most challenging part was actually sharing that with my parents at Christmas, my family at Christmas time. Um, I think, you know, one thing that I've definitely come to understand in life is that we're all linked by the human experience. And by that I mean that we all have the, the highs and lows and challenges and opportunities that human life brings to us and but when you when you stare that head on and you lean into that and explore that there's a, a large amount of vulnerability that goes with that and particularly when it involves the lives and stories of other people and the people that you hold closest to you but I felt the need to write this book because um, <laughs> I especially when I wrote it down, I, I realized like I've fallen into so many big traps, like really big traps. And I don't want others to have to fall into them to also learn. You know, I'm grateful. I would never change anything in my story. But, um, you know, be, because I think it's from those moments that I've learned the most. But I don't want other people to have to experience the discomfort and pain that often comes with that if they can just go forward and flourish by learning from my own mistakes. So um, I thought to conclude, I actually would just love to share with you the last tiny bit of my book, just a, a tiny teaser. And, you know, it'll probably change as, um, as editors get hold of it and, and want to see change. So I thought that I would just share it with you because I feel like it's the perfect summary of today's conversation and it's the perfect summary of really where I am now and, and where I'm going and what I'm like super excited to, to deliver to you. So here we go. This is the ending of today's podcast. Speaking my story and sharing it with others through my coaching and writing has not brought it to life like I thought it would. I was afraid it would cause the emotions and discomforts to rear their heads again and to linger on. Instead, it helped me to see the freshness in each current moment as it unfolds. I feel more engaged in the present and excited by opportunities. I've come to realise there will always be the life we lived and the one that perhaps we could have lived. But I am living a life nonetheless, right here, right now and that is all that truly matters through writing and assisting others as a coach and mentor 
I have found my voice. It took time, but I began to feel able to share my story complete with the emotions wrapped up in it, first with Graham, my husband, and then slowly with a few friends. Unspoken words became spoken words. I found it easier to be running on a trail, avoiding eye contact. I still felt that everyone had a telescope to my soul where my vulnerability lay, and this frightened me. However, when they didn't flinch, blink or skip a beat, I began to feel more comfortable in the knowledge that perhaps I was not broken. Maybe my story hadn't really cracked me after all. Perhaps all I was looking at was a bruised heart that had just become a little foggy. Perhaps I was indeed whole, capable and complete. So the more I told myself this, the more I realised the truth in it. Having now laid out my story and taken a step back, I would not change one single moment of it. For if I hadn't had the valleys, I could not have possibly seen the vistas beyond. If I had only seen the sunshine, I would not have seen the sunrises and the sunsets casting golden glows upon my internal boulevard. If at times I had not walked alone, I would not recognise the joy in walking beside or hand in hand with another. If I had not run away, I wouldn't have known the excitement of running towards. If I had not blundered blindly forward, I would not have learnt the important lessons I am now so eternally grateful for. We are not the sum total of our endeavours. Hanny is not her world championship, marathon or academic results. We cannot identify or define ourselves by what we have done. Hanny is not her story, but rather the person who walked in the shoes while the story unfolded. We are also not what happens to us. Hanny is not the incidents, deaths, injuries, accolades or relationships. Rather, she is the attitude, beliefs, values and emotions that define the way she responds to these moments. We cannot think our way through the bumps and lumps of life. For Hanny cannot sit at a table and nut through the challenges with a pen and paper. No. Instead, she needs to be willing to open her heart to the possibilities which can, can unfold and to love. Hanny is not the gift she is giving others. She is the one giving the gift and can only do so after she has given it to herself first. Hanny is Hanny. Me, myself, I. A young woman who unfolds and evolves. She is the foundation of her endeavours, the seed from which her future grows. She is wild in spirit, feminine, compassionate, and yet a warrior in her willingness to strive. And when all things combine, she is ready to thrive. I think, just maybe, have I found my fate?